do me a favor, but just kind of like scoot in this a little more, act like you guys are friends, just so I can see how close you're going to uh, meet it up. <laughs> Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great 4th of July week, not taking work too seriously, enjoying your cookout, setting up some fireworks, and having a few glasses of your favorite brown water along the way. Just a little bit of updates, Patreon shipments will begin soon for those that have hit their six month mark at the end of June. I've been spending some time working my Excel spreadsheet magic and I'm continually improving the system. And we're also going to be doing our giveaway for supporters in the month of June as well. So stay tuned for that. And I'm also working on a way for our supporters to order Bourbon Pursuit glassware online whenever they want, or they can order it with their barrel picks. We've got a lot of great things happening behind the scenes, and we're looking forward to sharing those with you all very soon. In the meantime, you're going to be getting your weekly dose of bourbon guests and industry knowledge from these great people. Over a year ago, the Vintage Spirit Law went in effect here in Kentucky, and we had talked about it before, but now it's time to really see what's become of it. Today's show features two opposite sides of the spectrum. We've got one side doing the retail with Justin Sloan, who runs Justin's House of Bourbon in Lexington, and the other is an on-premise at a restaurant with Larry Rice at the famed Silver Dollar here in Louisville. Both of these places are known for having unique bourbons, but this time we get an inside scoop into how this law has affected their business. And lastly, we get a chance to actually hear about their greatest dusty hunting stories too. You're gonna love it. As usual, if you love the show, make sure you support us on Patreon. We've got a lot of cool things that are happening through there, a lot of good things to give away too for your support. T-shirts, koozies, bottle totes, barrel picks, that even more they're gonna be announced, so stay tuned for that. And also follow us on your favorite social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And as always, make sure that you are subscribing on iTunes, YouTube, Facebook, or wherever you get this podcast. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. With that, enjoy this week's episode. And they're off for another Gift 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasty notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. 
It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome back to the episode of the Bird Pursuit Podcast, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Ryan on the road today. Yes. Uh, got to go through some some rainy weather, but, you know, we made it. We've got a great show lined up. Uh, you know, it's something that we've actually talked about before, you know, even before we get into the word vintage. It was funny. We had a story coming here and we were talking about cell phones and uh, Ryan was on the phone, you know, talking, doing business and stuff. And trying to figure out like where his guys are and how these things work. And I was like, do you remember vintage cell phones when people had like Nextels, yeah. Nextels with two-way radios on them? And like everybody had that. Like it was funny, right? <laughs> yeah. Back back when it first started, yeah, you, you dinged a guy across town, you know, the Nextel. We thought that was like the latest, greatest technology. And now we can like watch people on iPads and, you know, track them down. And it's it's crazy how it's changed. But <laughs> but but this is you're not vintage technology. We're talking about vintage whiskey today. And, and this isn't something that is a first for us. We've talked about it plenty of times on the show. We talked about it when the law was first going to affect. Um, we've had Ed Bly on the show to talk about kind of what that means in his regard, too. And this is going to be another interesting take where we're going to see from the actual business side, what is it, how is it, um, done so far? Um, where is the future going? And it's not only that, it's going to be looking at from two two different angles today, um, not just from a retailer side, but also from a, a restaurant side too. Yeah, it, it, I'm totally, you know me, I love Dusty's and all. <laughs> just a I, I, I can't like them as much anymore because they're, they're just gotten so expensive, but they're, they're, they're so awesome. And I'm so excited about today's episode because I walked in here and we're at the House of Bourbon, obviously, but uh just walked in here and like saw all the beautiful vintage bottles and so excited to see how the everything's going since the law has been passed recently. So really excited about today. Yeah. I mean, uh, for anybody that is watching on video, so we're in the, the back room, there's sort of speakeasy tasting room, which is still sort of being uh, finalized and built out, but it's a beautiful area and the store is, is immaculate as well. So, uh, but that's a great way to kind of start introducing our guests. So today on the show, we have Justin Sloan. Justin is the co-owner of Justin's House of Bourbon, as well as the Bourbon Review, and Larry Rice, proprietor of the Silver Dollar and the Pearl of Germantown in Louisville, Kentucky. So, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thanks for having, having us. us. So, <laughs> as we, usual, we practice that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were here before us. Like all so they've been like practicing. practicing. Yeah. Yeah. You guys <laughs> Skype at each other last night. Yeah. Like, yeah. What are we going to say? What are you going to say? So, before we jump into this, there's, there's something that we usually talk about all our guests about is kind of like your entry into bourbon like what's what's your story of, of how you got to the point that first bottle that kind of was just like yeah that first bottle that first taste sort of what led you down there was it you know growing up in Kentucky was it you know your grandfather saying come here and take a nip of this like what, what, what was it for you all Larry we'll, we'll start on you uh, 
I mean, honestly, I don't think it was one thing, you know, growing up in Louisville, it's just always around. Like we, I didn't have like a real reverence for bourbon when I was growing up, but I was drinking it. Right. Um, and it probably wasn't until 15 years ago or so that I really started like folk, like that became my spirit, you know, that I really just wanted to delve into the histories of and learn a lot about, you know, probably like everybody else at that age, the first thing I drank was either something like a, you know, Hiram Walker's Ten High or it was Makers. And I didn't think much about it. Right, <laughs> and I yeah. just drank them forever. And when you ordered whiskey at a bar, you just, once you got to be of age or had a fake ID, then um, you just assumed it was going to be bourbon and, or, or Jack Daniels probably. You know, those are the ones they give you. But it wasn't really until um, I started getting into cocktails that I really realized what a, what a beautiful thing it was. Um, you know, studying old classic cocktails was always rye, whiskey, and bourbon were the two really, you know, major components to those things. Um, and so then I started really focusing in on bourbon. I thought if I, you know, I realized early on in cocktails that I'm not going to become an expert on everything at my age. So I need to focus. And so I was like, it makes sense to focus on bourbon being from Louisville and running bars in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, so it wasn't like an aha moment really for <laughs> me. It was more of like a, a, a slow evolution, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Cool. What about you, Justin? Uh, for me, I grew up in a dry county in eastern Kentucky, so I was uh, used to drinking the unaged whiskey. <laughs> and uh, I remember getting to college and, and had some Makers or uh, I don't even remember. It's probably probably Makers was my go-to if I could afford it at that time. Uh, um, drinking it, I was like, oh man, this this is completely different. It's a completely different taste. It's a uh, you know it's sweet. It's 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 a uh, got a better finish than the harsh you know uh, white whiskey that uh, I was drinking, probably under twenty one. But um, once once I got the got into it, I started uh, doing some of the collecting of the Maker's More bottles. And I remember a buddy of mine said, "Yeah, you should." I had I had one of the Maker's More goals. You should try it. And it's like different than Maker's More. I was like, "All right." Tried as a 101 proof Japanese export. I'm like, all right, this is completely different. So then it pushed me into finding, trying to find higher proofs and and, and going that route. And that's kind of um, where it's ended up today. Is like none of my none of my grandfathers or that I know of drank at all. So <laughs> kind of the, the the black sheep family as far as the <laughs> yeah. alcohol business now. So, uh, but uh, yeah, that's kind of where it started. I don't think you're far off from the fact that. I, how many, how many people we talked to that they said they, they really started getting bourbon with these collectible makers? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it just seems that crazy. It's, it's, it amazes me that well, that's, that's sort of people step, especially in. around here. Cause I, how many Kentucky bottles do I have of, you know, collectors, what right. championship bottles or whatever, Keeneland you know, bottles, Louisville, right? Louisville, Keeneland bottles. Right. There's so many of them around, you know, that, your dad probably kept some and I, that's how mine was. And you'd be like, Oh, there's a maker's bottle. I'm just going to pop open. Well, it got, it got you in stores and stuff looking for that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then you're just like, Whoa, what else, you know, what else is there? And then, you know, start grabbing something else while you're there. And this, that was probably in 2001, 2002, something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. when, uh, yeah. So that's, that's what it, it's crazy. Some of my best friends in, uh, in this, uh, industry is, is people I've, you know, met through collecting maker's mark or, you know, Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so I guess we need to also dispel something and kind of talk about it too. Like, is there still value in collecting Maker's Mark <laughs> in your opinion? Like, be honest. Negative. <laughs> the, um, you know, the, the, they're great bottles. It's great charities, you know, and, and, and that's kind of thing. But as far as, uh, 
um, return on investment or anything, then, then no. Yeah, no. Right. Not at this time, no. I, I remember it had to have been when the, the, the Faro bottle came out and everybody was lining yeah. up around, you know, Lexington and Louisville and getting their bottles. And then it was like, it's gone. And then probably I think the week after it was like, oh, there's a whole nother shipment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can just keep making these. Yeah. <laughs> just get some, get some more wax. It's, <laughs> it's like that Knob Creek rare release of 15,000 yeah. bottles or whatever. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of it to go around. <laughs> yeah. So let's get a little bit into the meat of the show. Um, you know, the, the idea and the topic was to really start focusing on the vintage spirit law and really what it's it's meant to your business. And so, Justin, since, you know, you haven't been open as the sil- longest silver dollar, um, kind of so far, what was what was the launch point of Justin's House of Bourbon? And, and I'm guessing the this vintage spirit law was really something that really kickstarted. It was were you already in the process of doing this and you said, like, well, shit, this is just good timing. <laughs> no, no, we we are open today because of House Bill 100. We, we had no intentions of opening a, a package store. Um, you know, JT, my business partner in the magazine stuff, has a bar already. Um, you know, I'd, I'd kicked around the tires on a bar a few years ago, but, you know, I had no intentions to open a package store until House Bill 100 came to fruition. And once it came to fruition, once we, once it got passed, once we, you know, once we, um, saw the writing on the wall, what it was going to be. Um, that's what said, okay, you know, we can do this. We can do it here in Lexington. We can do it pretty quick. Let's, let's, let's do it. And that's, uh, kind of where it, yeah, where it came from. Mm-hmm. South Bill 100. So. Why did you think a package store would be the best way to capitalize on this bill? Um, I think that was one thing. It, it was kind of not, um, you know, is easy to do for, for package stores already in business. Mm-hmm. Um, um, for, for bars, you know, it, it'd be kind of easy to just bring those in and, and, and a certain amount. But when you're selling bottles, it's a, uh, it's big ticketed items kind of over the, uh, over big the counter, inventory cost. big inventory yeah. costs. And, and, you know, we feel like we were the few that could, could do it to this scale. And, um, you know, especially with our, as many barrel picks as we were already doing, you know, with, right. with the bird review and, and bells, we felt like we could, you know, just continue to ride that. You know, we're, you know, we're doing barrel picks almost once a month now here. So, I mean, it's, uh, and we've been open, you know, a little bit now. So, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, that's, that's what we felt like the package store is the best solution for us. Cause we could always just cause you had stuff. so much sitting in yeah, the and, yeah. and we can always have an, we have an outlet for a bar if we wanted to do that as well. Right. Um, which we still, you know, they still may, but, um, is Bell's doing any vintage or Not, not at this time. No. So that's kind of, we're, we're, um, I'm working with, you know, JT and, and Larry Redmond to, to work on potentially getting, um, some vintage stuff in there as well. It's funny you say it because I've noticed in liquor stores back home, nobody's really embraced this yet, really. I haven't seen any, mm-hmm. you know, Ed Bly is the only one really I know doing it. But it makes sense now that they would have a bigger upfront investment, you know, to get the bottles in to sell them. Absolutely, yeah. It's just, it wasn't their business model to keep keep whiskey, <laughs> you right, know, to keep right. bottles. Uh, it was just to move it. So uh, it's kind of retro, you know, bringing it back in is, is kind of a, a great outlet for us anyways. I think that new bill might change that too, where if that passes with everybody being able to ship, because mm-hmm. um, then you got a bigger market. It's really tough, I think, to get enough people in the front door that want to drop that kind of money on a bottle, especially in Kentucky, because right. like, like, you know, from my experience, we didn't grow up with a reverence for bourbon. We just drank it. And now all of a sudden bottles are worth two, three, four thousand dollars and keep climbing, you know? Yeah. Um, you're talking to 
less than one percent of people in Louisville yeah. or Kentucky that can probably afford or even or even want to pay. Yeah. Yeah. We have small populations, and the median income is not quite the same as like a New York or Chicago, you know, right. or something like that. Would probably you probably would have daily sales of, at, at levels like that, you know. And and this always was. You know, of this package store too was always looking looking towards House Bill 400 and and maybe down the road doing online sales altogether. But House Bill 400 is, is coming up for vote. I think this week or next week, right. something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, uh, we're looking forward to that. We we get calls probably from out of state and out of even out of the country um, more than we do in state looking looking for vintage whiskey. And we can't do anything right now, but tell them to come in the store. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. So I mean, hopefully down the road that that opens up a little bit. But I'm looking forward to be able to to. If House Bill 400 passes, that, that we can bring them in here and then send them home. We've had a couple people leave without anything because they didn't want to risk putting yeah, that's the same. You, you, you bag, bag, yeah. you know. So, um, but yeah, so we're looking forward to that too. And so, before we start talking about like you know the target market who these people are, Larry, I kind of wanted to break you into the discussion too because um, you kind of saw the writing on the wall really early because anybody that travels to Louisville as a destination for the bourbon trail, you know, we get the question all the time, like, Oh, where should we go eat? Like, where's the great bar? Get the chili killies. <laughs> that, that's my brunch. I get the chili killies twice a month at least. It's nice. fantastic. And so we always say, note. like, you know, go check out Silver Dollar. Like you've got, there's going to have a, a massive bar menu. They've got great food. Um, so what was the idea of just starting something that was just completely focused on having pretty much every bourbon bottle that you can find on the shelf in a store or even ones that are limited edition behind your bar as well? Well, so at the dollar, we were we wanted to be really purposeful um, and not pretentious, I guess, because, um, again, I came from like a kind of a cocktail background and and still am, you know, like we try to do everything. And I worked fine dining in the 90s and wine, you know, there was a definitely a different attitude towards that. And I just kind of had a, um, I did have an aha moment in this when I was working at a, at a restaurant because I had people that I normally had as regulars at bars and restaurants I'd worked at that didn't come in because it was a higher end joint and mm-hmm. everything was written in French on the menu and they didn't understand it. Pinkies up. Yeah. yeah so, so we kind of made a, we kind of made a policy that like everyone deserves to eat and drink well. So we took away those, that kind of verbiages and stuff. And then our back bar, like we actually don't do every single thing that comes out. We try to specifically do, um, only Kentucky whiskeys. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't have scotches and we don't have Irish whiskeys and I love them. I mean, I, I worked in an Irish pub for 10 years and drank a lot of those things. Um, but we wanted to really support the local distilleries, um, Kentucky distilleries. Now we do have a couple of what I call asterisks. And if someone calls me out on it, then I'm cool with it. Um, cause a couple of our rise, like the Willet rise that we had at first right. and the buff and the bullet rise were obviously from MGP. Right. And if someone calls me out on it, then it's, it's somebody I know I can talk to about. Well, bottle, you can there. tell them it's bottled here. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, and what I always say is, well, they're Kentucky families yeah. that, purchase their eye while, while there's its aging, you know? And so we, we still support that distillery or that house, you know? Um, where did the honky tonk aspect come from that? Well, so, um, we had a, we had a third business partner when we first started and, um, it was a cruise from Chicago used to come down all the time for, um, for whiskey picks and for just whiskey education. And I got to know some really good houses up there, some really good groups of, of like bartenders and restaurants. And we would all just sit around my house drinking at night and listening to records. And it would usually be old honky tonk music or, you know, bluegrass. And um, and we'd drink till the sun front came up, you know, and then go <laughs> yeah. do a barrel pick at, at 10. <laughs> you know, like, I don't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but um, We've and, done it recently. <laughs> and, and you know how, like, the bartenders are. You're like, I bet other people would enjoy this, too. And so we tried to do, like, as much of what that, like, 
what we were enjoying in my living room at four o'clock in the morning, we tried to to bring that to the to the public basically. With yeah. And you know, I thought that that's a you know that whole story that you know um, Dust Bowl like Bakersfield kind of thing is a very working man thing and bourbon for most of my life was a very working man spirit as well. And obviously, you know, Kentucky's blue collar, Crescent Hill there's blue collar, you know, or Clifton, but, um, so it all seemed to just make sense. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And my upbringing is definitely, you know, blue collar or, or less. <laughs> so, um, and, and I just wanted it to be inviting. I wanted it to make sense for Kentucky. I wanted to showcase what Kentucky does as well as some of the influences, you know, I know that like, Obviously, Bakersfield is not Kentucky and that honky-tonk's not necessarily, but it's stuff we relate to. Right. So, um, and then, you know, when the vintage law came in, like I've been not purposely collecting Dusties forever, but at first I used to just buy them and drink them and buy them and drink them. And then um, I started buying faster than I drank them. And so they would, they would you know, I, we grew up, me and my better half grew a better, a pretty decent collection at home. And then I got really aggressive about it when I started seeing how much other people enjoyed it yeah. <laughs> because it started getting more and more expensive. So then I, so then I really did start collecting because I was like, I need to buy this shit before it's too expensive, you know? Yeah. Um, and so we had a pretty good stash. Like everything we have at our bar actually just came from our house. Like we didn't, um, I didn't go out and start looking for it to put it at the bar. I just picked out of our collection what we were going to move over there. What is it about uh, vintage whiskeys or dusties you say that you'd like or enjoy that, or what do they bring to the table you think? Well, for me, it's a lot of things. Like um, a lot of times it's just really fucking delicious, you know, and yeah. that, that that in itself is awesome. But when I first started drinking them, so about 10 or 12 years ago, a buddy of mine um, just sent me a bottle of like 1961, the old granddad decant, decanter. He knew I'd drink a lot of old granddad. He thought it'd be a nice gift. I think he bought it on eBay for 70 bucks or something, you know, mm-hmm. and um, the good old eBay days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And it was friggin' delicious. And I was like, that's not old granddad that I'm drinking today, you know? So I started wanting to try other whiskeys that I drank all the time and try them in different... And then I got really silly about it and I tried them in different decades. You know, I wanted to try every different decade and I wanted to do them in parallel tastings and I wanted to see the differences. Um, and then I just... Then I started getting into the history of it, really enjoyed learning the histories and when it changes houses and the, you know, different master distillers and stuff. Um, so it's a lot of different things and there's obviously romance to it as well. Like that's something that like, and I didn't really realize this was going on at first, but we have people over a lot at the house to drink that come in town. You know, we're, we're pretty tied into the bar community across the nation. Um, when we're real familiar with folks, we'll have them to the house for drinks. And then like years would go by and then I'd run into one of these bartenders that came with a friend to my house and then they would remember exactly what they drank that night and exactly how it tasted and I wouldn't remember I'd, you know because I've done that a hundred times do this yeah. every night of the week yeah. and well then I realized that um, when you drink when you eat when you eat filet mignon every night you kind of lose the taste for it but I kind of realized like how that was creating like a really unique like life like you know um, an experience that was like embedded in that person's mind forever and then I really enjoyed doing that you know I was yeah. like hey every time you have somebody over to your house like that and pour them a prohibition air bottle or a friggin' 1960 something that's delicious that they didn't see coming that sticks with them forever and that's like a, a real moment in their life as opposed to just another night drinking you know mm-hmm. what I mean? yeah um so it's got a lot of layers for me on why i enjoy it so yeah, much absolutely so larry i mean we got your side of the story about you know you kind of started bringing these through the restaurant through your own personal collection and building through there um same thing i've heard with that's kind of how bar Vetti does it you know with ryan back in Louisville as well 
Uh, Justin, so kind of, you know, you're a little bit different, like, because, you know, Larry, when you go to Larry's uh, establishments, they're going to have maybe like three or four on the menu for tasting, right? Um, here, you've got a whole wall of vintage stuff, right? <laughs> so kind of talk about, um, you know, how you started getting all these and was a lot of it of just the personal collection thing that over time and you saw the opportunity said, this is this is what's going to happen. Yeah, so it was, it was mostly just, you know, amassing just collecting myself and, and finding multiples of, of things that I like to drink and, and uh, you know, <clears throat> selling a couple here to, to afford to buy a bigger bottle or, you know, kind of doing that kind of stuff. And then, you know, <clears throat> it's kind of a, I don't know, it's, it's an obsession. You know how it all goes. <laughs> I mean, you start getting one thing, it's like, okay, I have to have this. Okay. And then, then, then the bottle price just keeps going up and up and up. And at some point you're like, all right, I wouldn't spend this much money on anything else. Like, and you know, I could get a Cadillac. And yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Your girlfriends are talking about expensive purses. Like, you don't spend a thousand dollars on a purse, and it's like, wait a minute, it I doesn't just even appreciate value. I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just it doesn't grow two hundred ten percent in four years. Trade that for three purses. No. <laughs> so uh, and and like you know, Larry's like sharing with friends and stuff, and you just start. All right, so like, what am I going to take, and what am I going to take to the next meetup? It's going to be a bigger bottle, you know. It's kind of like let's. Let's, let's open something bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and then you start just, you know, amassing all this stuff and, and you get more than you can drink, ever drink. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's kind of what that is. The, you know, the wall out there is, is with um, uh, JT and I's collection over the years and, and stuff that we've picked that, that, that we have multiples of to, to put out there um, to, for other people to they want to enjoy and they can pay and enjoy it (laughs) and so i guess that that kind of rolls into my my next thing because you know you said you know you've got and i think we at least i can speak for myself too i've got more bourbon than i could probably enjoy in a lifetime right um but you know you've got some some real unicorns out there and i'm sure larry you've got a lot of stuff like that too i mean do you feel maybe the bit is like uneasy knowing that you know you're going to be selling these and you know you're not going to have the opportunity to actually try them or keep the bottles for yourself over time and think like when you're 60 years old you're like ah damn i should should have kept that one right like what do you have this like almost like a feeling bourbon regrets sometimes uh, i i would have until or you're like hell no it's cash straight money well, no like. i, I would have until you started having to write checks to, to to build it out and and to you know to to put money into the building and, and the business and and then you start saying okay then it's a little easier to get to get to let go when you're when you're writing checks out all the time for for even more whiskey and, and, and stuff so it's a but most of everything I'm, I'm very very lucky most everything on the wall um in there I, i've tried for the most part um there's there's very few in there that i haven't there's a couple couple weird ones that that i just don't have multiples of so i haven't opened it yet but for the most part I, i've been lucky enough to try most everything out there and you can definitely tell what my palate goes through is what how much stuff is from from certain you know <laughs> yeah. distilleries are out there and uh, but yes I mean that's that's kind of I'll say yes it is kind of tough to think about letting go of some of these bottles that I worked so hard to find and, and get but um, it isn't when you're writing checks all the time for payroll <laughs> yeah. and everything else it's a, it's a little different <laughs> mm-hmm. no I'm with you I, I will say it's a little bittersweet for me like the whole law because I've always just like shared them I've never like. I've definitely never made money off of vintage whiskey before. Like I might have traded or sold, but that just meant it was going back into getting more bottles. Right. Exactly. Um, that part's bittersweet, but I do taste every bottle that we sell. Like we actually do tasting notes on them. 
So like we have six bottles open right now purposefully, but we tasted them all. Cause it, I mean, we've all opened an old bottle of whiskey before and been like, oh, it looked great, but yeah. it's obviously oh, yeah. dead, you know? Yeah. And I've been to bar and we also like vacuum. That's why we only do six at a time is because they're expensive pours. And I, I, I will give this little piece of like, um, I try to build my list to where there's some really inexpensive, like what I call value pours on the list. Um, that hopefully are surprising. Like there's a Sunny Brook on there for 25 bucks a pour, which is pretty inexpensive for a vintage whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is Sunny Brook, you know, like it's not, and it's not blended. It's, you know, it's, it's straight bourbon, but, um, and then we've got a 10 high on there that really surprised me at the price. It, uh, it's 15 bucks a pour. But then if it seems really ridiculously priced, it's because I'd rather drink it than sell it. Uh, <laughs> Fair but, enough. Um, but I've been to those bars where they opened a bottle. Someone was willing to pay two, three, four hundred bucks for the pour. They opened the bottle up and then I came along six years later and it oxidized. And then I just wanted to try that bottle and, it, and I still paid 400 bucks for an oxidized pour. So yeah. I don't want to open 60 bottles at a time. Um, for that reason, I want to go through it inventory and I want to be able to control it. And if I lose a bottle, fine, because if I open a bottle up and I overcharge for it because I'd rather drink it, then like, I'm going to test that every once in a while. If I decide it's not selling quick enough, I'll just drink it. You know, like, um, so it is a little bittersweet in that sense because like now there is a dollar amount to these bottles. Not that there weren't before because I obviously paid for them and I know what people are paying for them online, but. Um, but it's more so now because now it's not just a bottle I get to open with buddies when they come over. Right. It's a bottle that like, I'm letting you buy if you want, (laughs) you know, if you wanted a once in a lifetime experience and you're willing to drop that kind of cash, then cool. Um, if not, get to know me better and I'll invite you to my house next time. So, <laughs> Why do you think Fair we're here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me just give you my phone number. No. Uh, so how is your, do you manage your inventory from this aspect? So you got, you know, a lot that you had stocked and now you're selling it. Are you, cause it's more competitive to get these dusties now than ever. So how are you keeping up like, like stockpiling new to replace the old? How's that process been or changed? It, not, it hadn't changed a ton. For, we, we have a lot. Like, you know, we've been, I, my, myself and Susie Hoyt, she's the beverage director, but also my better half. Um, we've been buying bottles for well over a decade. And again, like you said, we have more bottles than we could ever drink in a lifetime. And we, I mean, we have thousands of bottles that are like 1990 and back. Um, so I don't really have to be too aggressive right now. Like, cause, cause they're not flying off the shelf, right. the silver dollar, you know? Um, especially the ones that I don't want to sell because I overprice them. <laughs> and I'm not saying that overpricing may be a little bit extreme. Like we do bar margins. Right. And I know a lot of people will like not do bar margins for it, but it doesn't make a lot of sense for me not to because people show up, they're going to buy something, you know, like, and to be fair, if I go into a bar, sometimes I do splurge. If I go into like a Delilah's or, mm-hmm. you know, there's a handful of great bars doing Vinci's Whiskey in Chicago now, actually. And sometimes it's like, oh, shit, I've never got to try that. And he's got it open. Yeah, it's expensive for one pour, but now I'll know if I want to drop the 2500 bucks on the bottle, you know? Right. Um, but um, so we, I haven't had to get too aggressive, but I do have like that, you know, another one of those regrets or that like, you know, bittersweetness is like I noticed how many came out of my main cabinet <laughs> at home whenever I stocked the cabinet at the dollar. And so I did like replace some of those because <laughs> I was, you know, like. No one else would walk in my house and notice that anything was missing, but I noticed, you know, yeah. every day walking to the, to the espresso machine, I'd be like, man, those aren't in there now. Right. <laughs> so I got a few more that way, but I haven't had to be too aggressive, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, for us, it's uh, kind of one of those things, they're not flying off the shelf. Like, you know, we, we, we're a regular package store as well, also doing barrel picks. So 
our bread and butter is, you know, the taste of bourbon country is what we call it today with, with all the releases of today and 150 plus, you know, labels of, of, of whiskey out there that, that are available here, but then also barrel picks. But then, you know, over here, we don't have to, like, we've got quite a few things back there that uh, that we can replace pretty quickly with. And so, you know, somebody asked, well, what, do you, what, do you, what happens when you run out? I was like, well, I have a lot of money to go buy some fucking more. You <laughs> that's know? right. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's at the end of the day, that'd be a that'd be an awful good problem, problem right? Yeah. I'd close yeah. for two yeah. weeks and go find some more or whatever. <laughs> right, so right. it's like uh, not too worried about it. I mean, we obviously pay attention and, and we, you know, with especially with Keeneland and Derby coming around, you, you stock – certain bottles that you know are going to fall off the shelf, you know, during those times. But um, for the most part, it's, it's a steady, you know, it's a steady going in and out just kind of with people coming in trying to sell stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you guys have already kind of led on to the next question of really getting into this of, of pricing in the target market. So, you know, and let's, let's focus on the, you know, the vintage spirits aspect, because we know that, yeah, you've got other bottles on the shelf. You've got um, a lot of things on the menu, but you know, when it comes to the, the vintage spirits, like, you know, you already kind of talked about, you've got some bottles like Sunnybrook that is a little bit more in the, the affordable category. Uh, I know I've been in there and I've seen like a old Weller antique, like from the seventies or something that was like a $75 price tag or something like that. Um, and then Justin, I know you probably, you don't even put sticker prices on some of these, right? Because it's, I mean, don't get me wrong, because valuations fluctuate, well, right? Yeah, and exactly, yeah. I mean, I don't want to sit there and change prices every every week. I have a sheet, <laughs> you know, I, I have a sheet that, uh, that I update, you know, sometimes once a week, sometimes every two weeks. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's replacement cost. It's replacement cost plus whatever I need, you know, as a profit to, to keep the lights yeah. on and, and the business. So, you know, what... What can I go replace it for? Plus the premium for retail that 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 makes it as a business model, you yeah. know, and that's kind of you know the the pricing where the pricing comes from. Um, you know, I think a lot of people get get confused or, or maybe a little closed minded to think that some of these you know some of the secondary groups and 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 all that stuff is is the true secondary market on these things. Um, I'm here to tell you that that is not the case. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a reason, uh, those, you know, there's, there's people in there buying and, and selling to other people. It's because those are kind of a, a wholesale type type price range pricing. Um, now, especially in the last, you know, three, four years. But, um, so it's basically, yeah, the biggest thing on the pricing is, is replacement cost, And then plus, Whatever I need to make a flood make insurance <laughs> and like yeah, all the other yeah. crap that goes into yeah, actually boys, liability, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. payroll, payroll. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Your lease. Hey, I, I got a <laughs> business lights. myself. It's, yeah, you, it's not you cheap. Get it. No, it's it's not, especially with a brick and mortar. And so, where's your, you know, and you each have different target markets, right? So, uh, Justin, I'm gonna start with you. So, right now, you know, what's your target market of really what you're going for this? Because I mean, right now what I can see is you can get people in the door, right? They can go and they can see the the, the bourbon museum, if you will, right? Um, and then that probably leads to selling something that's on the other shelves. So what's what's the target market that you're going for? And then what's the target market that is, is really going for like the, the vintage spirits, like when you get there? And what are they looking for? If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. 
But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. Uh, Justin, I'm going to start with you. So right now, you know, what's your target market of really what you're going for this? Because, I mean, right now what I can see is you can get people in the door, right? They can go and they can see the the, the bourbon museum, if you will, right? Um, and then that probably leads to selling something that's on the other shelves. So what's what's the target market that you're going for? And then what's the target market that is is really going for like the, the vintage spirits, like when you get there? And what are they looking for? When- yeah, I mean, well, everybody, you know, wants, do you have any Pappy or do you have any Weller or stuff like that, which Absolutely. is, which is fine. Yeah. All in the back. Which, is, which is fine, yeah. But, uh, you know, our target market is, again, uh, we our biggest you know target is outside of Kentucky. I mean that's the reason this this law is so special to us is people can come in Kentucky, um, and and you mean not DC right? <laughs> right? Yeah, we can do it here. And DC is great too, but uh, but we want to be able to do it here. Um, you know where the home of bourbon and and people come from all over the world to come here to bourbon. Why can't they get what you know some cool offerings that they couldn't get anywhere else? And that's kind of what we want to do here with that. Yeah. Um, we want people to come in and check out the vintage whiskey. That's why it looks like a museum, and and those are all for sale. But you can also leave with something you know from today or a barrel pick or something. You can leave with something. There's prices from you know eleven dollars to you know twenty thousand dollars. So it's it's kind of there's something for everybody. So we try to expand it to where anybody can walk in. So I guess, um, you know, you talked about mentioned the house bill 400 and being able to hopefully ship a lot of these one day. Um, it's going to be very hard to ship some of those things that are sitting in cradles. That's <laughs> but I'm sure you'll we'll figure, figure it out. Yeah, I'll figure it out. <laughs> Make it work. You'll, Freight. Yeah, get a, get, <laughs> get a pallet or something. Get a Pelican case made for it, right? Um, We're actually a Pelican dealer. So, yeah. yeah there you go. <laughs> uh, but, you know, when you, when you think about, you know, as you said, people coming into uh, Kentucky for bourbon, you know, the one big thing that other people may not recognize is Lexington is very big in horses as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you've got Keeneland, uh, of course, that's around here. Uh, your horse farms that line Woodford and uh, different distilleries. Don't forget the Red Mile, you know. Yeah, forget the Red Mile as well. For those degenerate gamblers, you know, that like carriage horses. (laughs) I mean, do you see a lot of those people starting to entering the door or get picking up the phone for you too? Absolutely. We've we've already, you know, Keeneland's right around the corner. We've already gotten the the horse crowd in and and we'll have a a steady flow of those guys coming in, especially when people are coming from out of town for this and all their buddies and they like bourbon (laughs) to bring them here. You know, we've we've already got that. Um, happening, but that that is a, a certain demographic that we're looking for, and uh, you know that's definitely definitely 
happening already, even before Keeneland, especially with Derby. You know, we're 70, 70 miles from Louisville, so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because Airbnb's get here. too expensive at Louisville, so you stay <laughs> like, like anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so, Larry, I mean, that, that kind of goes the same same aspect, right? Horse racing, Kentucky, Derby, Louisville. All of a sudden, there's Pappy on the shelves everywhere, right? Um, at least at the bars and restaurants. So is, is that some of the target market you're going for? Like, are you trying to – are you guys – really looking to say like, okay, well, we can help the the spirits enthusiast that just lives in Louisville, or are you going for a lot of that, that foot traffic Tourist. that comes from tourists? Well, I, I, I think I think I'm still learning, to be honest, <laughs> what that is, because I was kind of surprised by some of the folks that were coming in to try the vintage bourbons, because um, what I was excited about for this bill was the tourism aspect, because I, you know, I, I talked to the tourism bureau a lot, I, bureau a lot, and I talked to the distilleries a lot about it's awesome right now that all these people are coming into town to do bourbon tours and whatnot, but it's not Disneyland. Like they're not going to bring right. their kids every year until they turn 18. They're going to do it a few times and be done. So how do you keep bringing them back? You know? Um, so that's an awesome new aspect of that. Cause as more bars start, you know, utilizing this and more liquor stores start utilizing it, that inventory will change all the time. So there's another, like, you know, it's just like antique shopping or something. It's like, you may not find anything, but you're going to go look. Cause you know, you know, there might be something cool that day or whatnot, but I've, We've sold most of ours either through dinners or through um, industry folks, you know, and the industry won't stop coming through because bourbon's not going away as far as the popularity goes and everybody wants to get that education. But a lot of um, restaurant groups come through and then they'll buy one of each to taste at the table, you know, like that kind of thing is going on a lot. The chef next door at Red Herring next door to the, yeah. he comes over and he's always trying like the Ten Eyes and the, and the Sunny Brooks, you know, like, um, and those value pours I think are more for those, for the locals. Because again, locals didn't grow up with that reverence, like willing to pay two or three hundred bucks for a pour of whiskey. They're like, that's friggin' stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I'm not saying it is stupid because, like, there's value to that. Like, if, yeah. you know, there's other things. Like, I've, I, what I always like to say is, I've wasted money on stupider shit than a good pour of whiskey, you know? Yeah. Um, and I've done that myself at other people's bars. I've spent that kind of money on a pour just to have that experience and didn't you know and again i remember the whiskey i won't remember the money kind of thing right um, but it's not for everybody like everybody a you can't afford to do that seven days a week you know or every time you have a whiskey which is why we like to offer three dollar shots and that's why we do all the barrel picks because they're super affordable and equally as unique you know to the establishment but um i think we're still learning i think what again they're not flying off the shelf you know like we're doing it's it hasn't changed like the purchasing we're doing with the distilleries, which is something they were worried about, I think at first, mm-hmm. um, which is good for them. That also means this might be more of a sustainable thing for everybody. Um, but tourism for sure. And I think Derby's going to be a bit, I think we'll fly through a lot more inventory. Yeah, this will be your first ours. Derby under the, and people do drop a lot of money at Derby time. <laughs> yeah. Like I actually, because of Derby and, and, and the surrounding times, cause it's not just that week and you're busy, you're busy all around it. You know, um, that's when I started raising my prices on my Van Winkle product. Cause I would have to get four phone calls a day from my managers being like, hey, such and such just wants to buy the whole bottle at, at ounce price. And I'm like, well, that's because they can't buy that bottle for that price. Because <laughs> I, So I, I literally started pricing my, my Van Winkle <laughs> at what you would have to pay for the bottle in the secondary market. <laughs> so right. people would quit asking because it's yeah. like, well, now you can just get it delivered to your house and, and leave my manager alone. <laughs> um, fair enough. Yeah, I was trying to be way more fair than that. And I was like, well, this isn't working for anybody. Um, so I think we're still learning who all will, and I think it depends on how you price it and yeah. what your offerings are on, on, on who it attracts. Like it's definitely not, you know, the work, all the, all the industry folks that hang out at the Silver Dollar and the Pearl aren't going to 
be dropping 300 bucks on an old hermitage, you know, but right. um, when the restaurant group brings them in from New York or San Francisco, they may all want to try that, you know? Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have people from out of town come to Kentucky and they're just like, they love the bourbon trail and doing it all, but they're so disappointed that they can't find all these rare bourbons that they're thought they were going to be able to find or experience anything. And now it just kind of gives them that outlet, you know, to, to experience something unique. Yeah. Like one more thing. Like that, that was always the thing coming up in, you know, in the bourbon industry or the bar industry in Louisville was, that was the first thing an out of town person asked is like, what can I, what can I have here? I can't have anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And that's gotten fewer and fewer and fewer because of like things getting more allocated, things getting more international as far as mm-hmm. distribution goes. Um, and of course everybody's got like, well, we've got these single barrels, but everybody's got fucking single barrels now. It's like, it's just whether or not you like my palate more than, you know, the guy in Georgia, you know? Um, so this is a nice add to that. I think I pitched an idea to the, to, to the, um, Louisville and what Kentucky's, um, visitor bureau that we talked all the distilleries into having a small allocation of everything they produced. And then they could do those like, like the visa commercials, you know, where it's like, uh, like, so anything that was only produced for Japan or only produced for Australia, all those things would be available somewhere in Kentucky, either by the poor retail, yeah. oh, okay. maybe in a small extent. Yeah. And then they could do that, those ads, like, you know, the, you know, $1,600 flight hotel to Japan, or, and it's all right here in Kentucky. And that would give people another reason to come back, but nobody took me up on it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's sort of, they say they're still talking about it. That's number one question when they come in is what can I find here that I can't find at home? And it's like, you know, that's dwindled down yeah. to, to a couple bottles pretty I, much. I do like the fact that the distilleries are starting to do distillery lease only. Yeah. I know a lot of people get upset about that because they're like, well, what if I can't make it to the distillery? Well, that's the whole idea, right? It's like <laughs> right. you have to come to Kentucky and go to the distillery right. in order to be able to enjoy that. And then we benefit from it. At least right. I know I do. When people come in town to go to Willet mm-hmm. and wait in line to sure. buy what they're putting out or they go to Heaven Hills Visitor Center and wait in line, they usually end up showing up at the Silver Dollar, mm-hmm. you know, at least for dinner, for a few drinks, maybe for brunch, you know. Yeah. yeah. So we're benefiting, like, from them doing that. Even though they're not allowing me to have those bottles at my bar, we still benefit from them doing that at their distilleries, which I appreciate. Yeah. Do you all think you're reaching possibly a new audience, right, of people that are, you know, they just started collecting maker's bottles last year and then they're like, oh, man, there's so much out there that I, I didn't know about. Like, do you think you're, you're also helping in regards of bourbon education to some of these people out there, too? Absolutely. I mean, you know, what we do here, we, we feel education is, I mean, we want to educate as many people as possible because those are the people later on that's going to be buying more and more bourbon and and even now the vintage stuff so you know we we think absolutely we're reaching new audience we bring them in we can we can taste them all stuff. we have a sample license as well we can taste them all stuff we can show them history and kind of show where's where where where, uh, the bourbon is today and kind of uh you know take them on that path of you know from our earliest bottle to 19 you know from 1917 or um all the way up you know through today and kind of educate them on you know what they should look for you know, when they're out there dusty hunting or whatever, and maybe they'll come back and sell it to us. You know? <laughs> but, um, yeah, but I mean, that's it's it's cool to see. It's like, oh, my grandpa, they used to they used to have that. You know, old granddad all the time. Yeah. My grandfather had it, and you know, he didn't have a cradle, but is that like normal? So it's like all those, you know, all those questions and cool things that we get a you know we get a chat with people, and it, it does like it gives them a, a throwback, especially if they've experienced it in their past or remember seeing it as a kid around or whatever. So it's cool. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Larry? Yeah. Do you think you're doing some of that, that education, too, of, like, bringing new people that are getting into bourbon and they look at your menu and be like, oh, my, I didn't even know this stuff existed, <laughs> right? Like, I didn't I didn't know I could even possibly try this. I, I think def, I think in, in 
I think yes is is the short answer to that. Um, now, but I don't know know that. I think that in general, the audience is growing for bourbon, mm-hmm. not necessarily just because they showed up at the Silver Dollar. Because normally, by the time they show up at the Silver Dollar, because they're yeah, because of bourbon. Um, yeah. But maybe they get into other other things that they didn't know they liked already. You know, like you know, we try to really educate people. Or you're the the one tag along that doesn't really drink bourbon; you only drink scotch, or you only drink you know vodka, or whatever it is. Um, Cause we've really gone out of our way to train our staff to have like those yeses. Mm-hmm. So they have to know about scotch and they need to know about Irish whiskey. So they know what to offer whenever somebody um, says that's all they drink. Um, you know, like you're obviously not going to offer somebody, um, you know, like a, uh, what's a good example, like an ancient age. If they normally drink like an um, Isle scotch, like a super peaty <laughs> yeah. scotch. So we, like in that scenario, we actually offer them like a mezcal old fashioned because um, you add a little bit of dim and some bitters to, for the dry notes to, to a mezcal and it tastes similar to a to a um, um, to a really super peaty scotch. But if they like like Johnny Walker, if it's a blended whiskey, then there's, you know, we have 40 whiskeys mm-hmm. that we could offer yeah. you that you're probably going to love. One of the things before it started getting really popular and like. Irish whiskey was still really big and it's starting to have a, a surgence again. But um, if someone ever ordered red breast, I knew they liked bourbon. They just didn't know it yet. Oh yeah. You know, um, but you know, that didn't necessarily mean they liked bourbon if they liked, you know, Jameson. Yeah. <laughs> they might be a little harder to get them, get them right. into bourbon, you know. Um, but in general, the audience is really growing. Like it's like the age has, has really gotten younger. Like, you know, people were drinking the way they were at 21, 22, 23 years old. Like we get a lot more of them in now than we did when we first opened the doors, even seven years ago, you know? Um, and then also females, obviously a lot. Yeah. Like that's all I was about to say. Cause at silver dollar, you only offer, I believe tequila, mezcal and bourbon. Right. And well, well we offer everything, but we only have, and Lone Star. And yeah. Lone Star, yeah. we only have one rum, one, um, tequila and one vodka. Okay. And then we have several agave and several, um, Bourbons. Well, story for you. My wife despises bourbon. She hates it. But anyways, we went. We go to Silver Dollar a couple times a month, and there's a morning a drink in the brunch meal. I think it's an Old Fitz with honey and lemon. Uh, can't remember the name. Gold of Rush. It. Yes, Gold Rush. Gold Rush. And she was. She tried that, and she was like, "Wow, this is bourbon. I didn't know bourbon could taste like this." You know? Well, that's another way to do it too. Is with um, to enter people into that is with cocktails. You know, if, if maybe like just the straight spirits too much for them, and not too much is the wrong word. It's just not what they're used to. It's abrasive, maybe. right? Um, then introducing them through cocktails is a great way because we are we very purposefully are spirit forward in our cocktails. So you still know that there's bourbon in there. We're not hiding it with a bunch of cloying stuff. You know, we're not making it oversweet, and you're not missing the spirit in it. You know, um, especially when it's something non-vodka, right? Something that needs to be like embraced. So so if she gets used to that aftertaste of the of the old fits after mm-hmm. drinking the gold rushes, then when she goes and sips on an old fits, it's it's like a a positive memory, not a negative memory. Now. Right. Exactly. So, so I guess accidentally sometimes we're, we're, we're getting people. <laughs> getting new to, uh, yeah. You know, kind of thinking of funny stories. Um, we had somebody else that came on and kind of said something funny too. And I kind of want to get your all's take, you know, not, we're not talking vintage whiskey of like, will it five years ago, we're talking like seventies, eighties, like old granddad and stuff like that. And he goes, uh, you know, it's funny that, all of us were chasing after this old granddad, these dusties, these national stillers, this old Stitzel Weller that used to sit on the shelves. And you go talk to somebody that's 60, 70 years old, and they're like, oh, that shit's rock gun. Like, who would even drink that back <laughs> yeah. then? Like, you, you think that's hilarious yeah. that, like, I was telling the story. Things are, things are changing like that. 
Yeah, I was telling the story on the way here. My grandfather's, he had a pretty big bourbon collection, but there was like a box of, in the corner, and it was a box of old granddads from the end. I'm like, I was like, do you know what you have? And he's like, he's like, that stuff's crap. What are you talking about? <laughs> I would never drink that. You know, I was like, do you know what you have here? It is, it's funny. We hear that, I hear that a lot where, you know, people, people are like, you know, this, uh, this, this stuff's awful. Like, oh, fist, what, what, is, what is this? I'm like, well, I mean, have you tried it? Like, you know, recently? Like, I mean, I don't. Compared to some of the other stuff now, I was like, you know, but that that happens more more often than not, and it's, it is pretty funny it's yeah. to see. I think it really shows like how much marketing plays it plays like oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. because when people were buying the old Granddad or the or the old Fitz, because definitely in the eighties and nineties, those were like super inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the definitely the working man or less kind of bourbon pour, or whiskey pours, we should say, because like fine whiskey with scotch. That's what it was. And that's what you related value and prestige to. And so the guy buying the old Fitz or buying the old granddad was shooting it or mixing it with Coke. Like they weren't sitting there and like letting it air right. and like, and nosing it. And then like taking tasting notes <laughs> yeah. and they realizing the different nuances. Flight. They didn't notice marzipan, you know, in their old Fitz. <laughs> but, but if you don't take time to appreciate something, you're not going to appreciate it. You know what I mean? Like, like I said before that, how I didn't have that aha moment. Like I used to not sit down. Like I didn't sit, I didn't order, you know, even, even in my early twenties, you know, and, Hell, in my 30, early 30s, even, I wasn't, like, ordering an old granddad to smell and take tasting notes on. I was ordering it with a Budweiser. To get drunk. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. um, so, it's, so it's perception. It's like how you, you know, it's just like, if you Very know, true. like eating chicken livers, you know, from one place or eating veal liver from another. They're just liver. <laughs> but you put a different, like, you put a different weight of value on those two things, you know? Yeah. And so, Larry, you had you had mentioned something about you know this stuff not flying off the shelves, and you're pricing it accordingly to make sure it necessarily doesn't do that. Do you want it to fly off the shelves? Like, would the, would you be okay if all of a sudden, like, it's like you know, like, yeah, Justin, you said it a lot of times. Replacement cost, um, you know, or would you be okay with it if it, you saw this good steady churn of of stuff that's going out? I mean, I'd be okay with it, sure, but. Um I don't, I don't think that's a problem I'm going to run into, to be fair. Like at our place, at least, because we've got so many, like, more approachable price points on our back bar that are delicious bourbon, right? So I don't see that ever really becoming a problem because of the stock we have vintage-wise. Um, there are certain bottles that I would hate to see just fly off the shelf, <laughs> if, you know, if that makes sense. Because um, there's some that I just don't know that I'll ever be able to replace, at least not the same quality, like, stored the same way that just like kind of like that old hermitage. I had two of those and I drank one way faster than I expected to <laughs> and then saved a second one to put into the, cause I knew this law was coming. Um, and that one bothers me a little bit if it goes too fast because <laughs> it's such delicious. And, and like, and that's the thing I do remember when I get these bottles, I remember going to upstate to New York to buy it, you know, and meeting up with my buddy and, and opening that first one and sitting by the lake and frigging drinking it. Like I won't ever forget that when that right. bottle's gone, like, that memory will get, you know, more and more faded, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So, so yes and no, like as a whole, it'd be, it'd be a great, a great problem to have, right. That people are buying them so fast that I was worried about how to replace them. Um, but individual bottles are different, you know, individual bottles, I might have a little bit more of an emotional romantic attachment to. So absolutely. What about you, Justin? I mean, would, would you be okay if things like, I mean, you, you go out there, you've got, I don't know, like five or six, Happy 23s of gold wax. You've got some other off the wall man winkles. You've got stuff sitting in cradles out there. Like if all of a sudden, like some guy comes in tomorrow and says, yeah, sure. I'll take it all. 
Like, are you like, all right, well, let's make it happen. Let's go on vacation. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, yes, it would, it would, it would kind of be sad to see those like, you know, leave or whatever. But at the end of the day, like this, most of that stuff's replaceable. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like I said, it's priced for a replacement cost. And, and, and yes, it is romantic a little bit, uh, you know, having these here in the history, but, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's replaceable. I mean, we, we, you know, it's it, another bottle of whiskey. It would be an awful, you know, awful problem to have. Like, you know, first world problems, right? Like, yeah. you know, selling too much whiskey. But uh, it is cool. Too that, much expensive whiskey. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So it'd be it'd be fun to see like you know people getting into it and and being able to find the unicorn. Like I remember when I found bottles, you know, like the hundred one proof old tail right there. When I found the first one, I was like, okay, like you know, that's awesome, and I probably paid. <laughs> what at the time was too much for it but like now it's like i want to give somebody else that experience yeah. and, and and be able to find their unicorn like there's a whole wall of unicorns <laughs> like for some people so it's like yeah in a way yes and, and no thank you and so you know you talk about replacement costs a lot but at some point there has to be an end to them because these are uh you can't find them anymore right or they just they're just not available i mean larry i'm not going to ask because you have a thousand bottles but justin <laughs> like is there an end in sight? Like at the point where like you, you get rid of a bottle, you sell a bottle, be like, that's it. Like, I don't think I'll be able to find another one. Um, I, I don't think so. I mean, there's very few bottles that I think that is the case for. And, and it's like, yeah, I, I just don't think that's, that's, that's a, a in the future, in the near future right mm -hmm. now. I mean, there's still a lot of stuff out there. Yeah, so there's still a lot of stuff out there. And and with this law, more stuff's coming out. Like you know, there's there's we've had bottles. I've had almost every day somebody comes in with something. I mean, we found a half a case of 1919 Bondelil or that somebody brought in. I mean, it's that stuff's happening. We've been open, you know, at this recording seven weeks. So I mean, it's 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 more and more stuff is coming out of the woodwork, and that's what we thought would happen. I think is mm -hmm. you know, I get contacted way more now. Yeah, than I yeah. Used to. yeah. 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 I mean, awesome. are you are you having to go and crawl in basements or anything yet, or people are just bringing it to your storefront? That, that happens a lot less nowadays, yeah. anyway. Like that's how I started looking. The for chase it. is a little easier now. Uh, well, yeah, but the price is more, right. You know, um, like which you know, it's, I guess times were something, right? Because I used to spend hundreds of hours to find handfuls of bottles, but now you could spend hundreds of hours to find none. Right. <laughs> you know, because everybody's doing that same thing. But um, I get contacted. And, like regularly now, like I, I've always gotten contacted some because of the silver dollar. Like people would assume that someone there might want something they found in their attic or, you know, or whatever. And, um, but now that they know the laws out there, I get emails from different States even. And, um, but everybody's pretty savvy. Like they're looking for roughly what it would sell for. If I just went out and looked for it myself from another collector, you know, mm -hmm. it's not like people are, you know, you're not, it's they're not yard sale finds anymore. You know? <laughs> right. And we've gotten contact from, you know, two different people from, from Europe. I mean, it's like crazy about, you know, Italy and hey, I've got all these dusties and it was a bunch of stuff from the sixties and seventies. It seems like an Italy nobody like, drink bourbon. Like it's right. I know. Right. So from. it's, <laughs> but, but I mean, that's just, it's happening. It's happened a ton since, since we've been over Japan. Yeah. But, but they've already gone out. Like those guys know just like we do that, you right. know, probably 10 years ago or maybe less like 10 mm -hmm. years ago in, the States, you could still find right. stuff in liquor stores, but five years ago, you couldn't anymore. You know, right. it started getting kind of harder. Um, and you could still find them in like Japan and Italy and right. Spain, um, and Paris. But, um, 
now that's not because those guys know too. They're in our groups and they're, you know, and they're on the, all the whiskey pages and stuff too. They know, but now they'll reach out and they don't mind shipping internationally. Yeah. You know. All right. So that's today. What's the, what's your best like whiskey dusting hunting story <laughs> that you've had maybe previously? I'll let whoever wants to take it. Go ahead. Got a good yeah. story. Um, I think I uh, ran into a like guy. A, like a huge score, whatever it is. I right? ran into a guy uh, one time um, at a bar, just sitting drinking, and and he's like, "Oh, you're a bourbon guy." I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Well, I've got the, I got some bourbon." I was like, "Oh boy, here we go." You know, here, <laughs> here's here, here we go, and he, and he pulled out some pictures, and it was you know it, uh, it was like a case of fifteen year very old fits and like. Uh, 18 year and and some some crazy stuff i'm like whoa he's like yeah my my dad was a distributor you know up in, in chicago and we you know we you know he's been sitting in the basement and i was like okay and i was like let's let's go look at him so we left the bar and when looked at him i ended up with you know quite a few of them brought him back but it's, it's it's yeah i mean that's that was just random um at a bar drinking just being a nice guy i guess <laughs> that's awesome yeah so I've never had anybody just walk up and drop like bricks yeah. Yeah. in my lap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I have had good times. Karma, I guess. <laughs> um, so I used to drive, like I, once I really got into hunting whiskey, I would just, I stopped flying if I was going anywhere in the States and I would drive and I would always try to take different routes and like one trip I went to Kansas, it took me seven days. Like, cause I, I just didn't get on the highway and I hit every little liquor store. You know, in either like urban areas, like outside of the major, you know, um, spots or super rural. Like what I always say is you just don't want people with good inventory control. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for places that are like mom and pop shops or like they just sell the 200 milliliter Everclears at the counter most of the time. And all their stuff is collecting dust otherwise. Um, but one of the best finds we had, and it was really surprising. I was coming back from um, from like the Florida area and I was coming, I was just north of Atlanta and on the back roads and we were hitting liquor stores I'd found online, but, um, happened to pass one that like wasn't on Google or Yelp or any of that stuff. Um, in a pretty bad neighborhood, but in like in the parking lot had become like, you could tell like the neighborhood hangout, you know, it was like people had their chairs set up and, you know, everyone was just kind of hanging out. Um, and I went in and, um, there was a few tax strips on the shelf. Like I, I call them handshakes. I probably have a hundred to Kuiper bottles. Um, you know, you hear about the guys who always buy a Bud Light when they go into like the ghetto stores because they don't want to just walk in and walk back out. Yeah. Um, if I find a tax strip, I walk up to the counter with it. So that way I can start a conversation, right? I'm never going to drink these, you know, 1970s sugar bombs, but, um, <laughs> uh, but it started a lot of conversations for me in this place in particular. It wasn't the Kuiper that I found, but it was a, um, it was like a, um, Benchmark, which is delicious from the 70s and 80s. And there was a couple other things um, that were from the same time period. So I just started grabbing them and taking them up to the counter. And the owner saw what I was doing. So he had the guy working with him go to the back room. And he, he was literally coming out with a grocery cart with old stuff. And some of it was like stuff you just don't really want. So, but I was pulling out what I wanted and putting it on the shelf and, and doing that. And um, he um, realized I was pretty much taking every whiskey that, you know, he was bringing out to me. So he's finally like, you just want to go to the back. And this place was like, I mean, it, like there was no inventory control. It was every bit of 2000 square foot and like a bunch of the modern stuff stacked up front and then just stacks and stacks of boxes that like, and the top ones were pretty new, but the bottom ones weren't. I ended up finding about 11 and a half cases of 
70s, 80s bourbon that was still tagged from that, wow. right? Like the tags were from the 70s and 80s. Wow. Um, and I think I spent like the whole, like 11 cases, 11 and a half cases in the back of my SUV. And um, the bill was 678 bucks. Oh my God. Did you turn back home? The dude was stoked. I had any more room. I I came back home. Yeah. But um, (laughs) I'm going to go get a U-Haul real quick. (laughs) But the dude was super stoked, right? Like he, like that was a big sale that day for him. And I was obviously, and this was six or seven years ago. So like things weren't worth what they're worth now. Yeah. To put it in perspective, like when I got home, I sold two bottles of the Rebel Yellow I got for three fifty a pop mm-hmm. to pay for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And you know what they go for now. It's not three fifty anymore. Right. You know? yeah. So that's about how long. But I still felt good. I was like, I sold two bottles, kept 11 cases. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's and, a win. and it was a wash for me other <laughs> than hotels and, and gas, you know? Yeah. Um, but that was probably the, the biggest, like, find. I've had other times where I've lost, left with two, not in seven or eight years, but where I left with two or three cases. But um but that was definitely the holy shit. I'm out of room now. It's time to go home. <laughs> you gotta yeah. go home. Yeah, that's, that's a good story. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. So while we start wrapping this up, you know, I kind of want to get your ideas on. You know, first, it doesn't sound like it's a it, a smart idea to somebody say like I'm going to open up something that just sells vintage whiskey and like that's it, right? I mean, it's got to be something that is uh, supplement and add on to the yeah. core business, right? Yeah, absolutely. I I, I don't um, yeah. It's not a sustainable business. Somebody might be able to do it, but they won't. I don't think would be open very long. Um, um, you know, selling just vintage whiskey. Um, it's definitely got to be an addition. You have to find a niche outside of that. And you know, we we use vintage whiskey to bring people in and sell other things. You know, if we sell vintage whiskey, great. But you know, it's to sell the other stuff as well. But yeah, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think that's a sustainable business model. Just vintage. They got, <laughs> they got a ton of LA here. Yeah. Right. Yes, yeah. Yes. <laughs> LA, see going towards mentioned Bourbon Pursuit. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like, it's not, it hasn't changed our, like, our purchasing, our sales really uh, in a huge way, but it is a great, like, it's a marketing tool really at this point. Like, everybody that walks in now takes a photo of the, of the case and puts it on Instagram, puts it on Facebook, whatever, you know, which is awesome for us. And, and I feel like they think that's a really special experience too, because these are, these aren't people who have a bunch of bottles at home. They're not people like us who have always kind of been in that market. So they get to see a glimpse into that world. They think it's awesome. I think that it could be a sustainable business for people. If you have like a web presence and international shipping, Absolutely, you'd have to have an international presence because there are places like in London doing Mm -hmm. that, that make a a ridiculous living doing it. Um, And, if you wanted to go, you know, and there are a few bars, like I don't know if anybody's ever been to the um, Milk Room in Chicago, but they all they do is old um, classic style cocktails. Now it only seats eight people, and they're not trying to take a ton of money because it's off the the, the Chicago um, Athletic Club, which is like they cr- they're cranking all day. But it's a great thing. You know, you can go in there. You're going to spend a little bit to drink a 1940s Manhattan, but it actually has vermouth from the 40s and bitters from the 40s right. and mm-hmm. whiskey from the 40s. But um we call those flagships in the business, you know, it's like, Hey, look, I can do this really awesome thing. It's not going to make us any money, but it'll get people to show up at all the places that make money. <laughs> you know? right. mm-hmm. um, but there's a lot of ways I think that we can all benefit and the guests can benefit, you know, or the, or the consumer can benefit from the law for sure. Kentucky as a whole should benefit greatly from mm-hmm. it as long as we really control it and do it in a way that makes sense for us and the distributors and the distillers, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Other than, you know, Shipping, which House Bill 400, by the time this recording goes out, is probably going to be passed because it went through flying colors in the House and now it's going to the Senate. What else? Is there anything else that you would like to see changed or expect the future of this to help grow the vintage whiskey 
um, experience or presence in Kentucky, or you think, or just like, bourbon industry or, in general, or are we just status quo right now. I mean, I mean, I mean, for for us, it's definitely online. Being able to do it online and be an international presence, but you know, that's that's definitely down the road. What we would all, what we would hope for as a package store, and that it's a little different, you know, for 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 a bar or a you know restaurant. But uh, um, that that's kind of what we would like to see to be able to, to really take this to another level. But we're, we're, we're happy with House Bill 100. We're going to be happy with, or static with House Bill 400. If that's the only, you know, place it goes, then, then we're still thrilled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I don't know how much more the bourbon, you know, like right now, I don't know how much more the bourbon, in, how much more enthusiasm the bourbon industry can handle, you know, <laughs> um, because like we're still waiting on everything to catch up as far as aging processes go. So we get our 12 years back and we get all those mm-hmm. things back. Um, so like maybe it's, maybe it's okay to like to, <laughs> baby steps. Yeah. You know, a little bit. Well, not even baby steps. <laughs> but you know how it is. Like you get super yeah. excited about something and then you, and then you just wear it out and wear it out and wear it out. And then like, and then all of a sudden you're bored with it you move on and all the great right. stuff comes back, you know, like, like I think that, you know, I think, you know, having a little bit of a governor on it is okay right now, which, which aging caused us all to have a governor anyway. Right. Um, you know, there's some pretty, um, spectacular whiskey coming out still today. Um, you know, like as much as we all love the vintage whiskey, like I'm not sure there's ever been a more golden age of whiskey, of bourbon, Completely at least agree. than right now, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's never been as like internationally um, coveted or loved as it is right now. And I think the quality is great that's coming out as well. Um, even our low end bourbons are really delicious. It's just, we're comparing them to the really high end bourbons, <laughs> right. so they don't exactly. seem like it, you know? Um, that's my take on it, but yeah. oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, guys, I think that's, that's going to be the way we're going to wrap this up. You know, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, I want you to be able to just give your, give your establishments one more plug. Stary, uh, sorry, Larry, <laughs> uh, start with you first, kind of just talk about where people can, uh, find your establishments. If they want to get in contact with you, how could they do that as well? Um, the silver dollar and the Pearl of Germantown, the Pearl is a neighborhood bar. We don't actually have a website. We have a Facebook page <laughs> and that's it. That's <laughs> but, awesome. um, the silver dollar, the, the website's whiskeybythedrink.com. Um, come check us out when you're in Louisville. Yeah. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, so Justin's House of Bourbon is uh, downtown Lexington. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and, and Instagram. Uh, and we have a website, thehouseofbourbon.com. Uh, and then uh, gobourbon.com is the Bourbon Reviews website. And we have social media for it as well. Awesome. So come see us. Well, awesome. So everybody, make sure you're following them on social media. Go get a drink at, at Larry's. Come uh, give the code word to Justin. He might bring yep. you back here in the tasting room. Who knows what can happen, get a, right? Get one of those barrel picks. You <laughs> yeah, know. get yeah. a barrel pick while you're here, right? Maybe you can't complain too much, but... Make sure you go and check out their places. Make sure you're following Bird Pursuit on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter at Bird Pursuit. If you do like what you hear, make sure you support the show on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Bird Pursuit. And thanks, guys, for coming on spending oh, time with us. Thanks for having Super us, guys. Fun. Thanks for coming and, down uh, Yeah, yeah. And uh, if anybody has suggestions, feedback, comments, we'd love hearing from our uh, listeners to give us ideas so we can uh, keep bringing content to you. And we'll see you next time.